Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Let's go in our Bibles, Philippians chapter 1. Today, the title of the message is Gospel Portraits. Portraits of Grace. There are, when Paul wrote this letter, there were many retired military personnel. So here we are, we live in a region close to the Selfridge Air Base. And there was a time when there was a lot of activity in this region connected to Selfridge Air Base, all the different branches. There's not as much activity now as there was in generations past, but those of you who are familiar with a military background, you understand some of the complexities, some of the things that a military community understands that the civilian world does not have a clue about, and I'm included in that civilian world. So it is right and is fitting we, we honor those who serve. We are thankful for those who serve. When Paul writes this letter, there are many people in that Philippian community that understand they were there when that great battle was fought that led to the power being given to the Caesars and Rome becoming the powerful empire that it was under the direction of a Caesar. That was about 42 B.C. So thanks to Emperor Augustus, Philippi became a Roman colony. Now, with that adoption, with that way being made for Philippi to become a Roman colony came privileges and responsibilities. So when Paul is writing this letter a couple of generations later, there are many grandfathers who were part of that war. They were part of that battle. So as he writes to them, they understand very well what it is to be a dual citizen a citizen of Philippi, but also part of the Roman Empire. But when Paul writes to believers, he's saying, you are citizens of heaven. And that is primary in the life of a believer. Not earthly citizenship first, but heavenly citizenship first, which actually should make believers the best citizens we can possibly be for those in our family those in our neighborhoods, those in our schools, where we work, if there are believers there, then there should be a radical difference and we should be shining the light of the gospel and making a practical difference of grace. Every person that has repented of their sins and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ alone as their Savior, they have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. This all happens by the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all active in the redemption of men. Paul writes to the Colossians in Colossians 1.13. He said, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Do you hear the, the freedom proclaimed there? Taken you out of bondage and captivity to Satan, to sin, to death, to hell, and brought you into the kingdom of the son that he loves. This is my beloved son, hear him. I'm well pleased in him. 
And so if we have been brought into this kingdom, then we are citizens of this heavenly kingdom, and that is the primary kingdom that we are concerned about. Now, this reality of believers being part of this heavenly kingdom has brought conflict. Now, you would think if Christians are wonderful citizens in all of these different countries around the world, India, North Korea, China, throughout Russia, when it was the USSR, behind the curtain in eastern Germany. And believers are there serving, loving, helping. Don't you think the government would welcome that? Absolutely not. Because there's a problem in the, in the day that Paul wrote, and that is that Christians would not say that Caesar is Lord. They would say Jesus is Lord. And the Caesars and all of the the gladiator games and all of those things that would happen, they would, Nero and others, throw Christians by the thousands to death. Some in gladiator games, some for the pleasure, for the sport of people watching. And they would torture them and they would throw them in and let them fight with lions And many of them, many of them died. Because they wouldn't say, Caesar is Lord. So this has produced conflict in so many. I would encourage you, maybe you've never read it, maybe you have, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Shows you, if you're a Christian, the heritage and what we take for granted in the country that we live in, where it's, you know, easy come, easy go. What do I want to do today? And we take it for granted so easily. How should we respond? We live in a nation that is increasingly becoming more hostile to Christianity. As marriage is attempted to be redefined. As human sexuality is attempted to be redefined. And the key word there is attempted because you can't. You can call it something else, but it is what the Creator designed it to be. Marriage is His. And so therefore, He has the authority to say it's one woman, one man for life. And you say, but some of us are reading, many of you, you're reading through the Old Testament, but look at all these guys and all these wives. How is God okay with that? Are you reading the stories? How's their family life? Are you seeing the jealousy and all of the hatred and the bitterness and the strife? That's not God's stamp of approval. That's the heart of man, and God is gracious to deal with sinners, and he uses sinners. That's the story of the Bible. Every single one of the heroes of the faith that die leaves us needing someone better than name anyone in the Old Testament, and it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Just this week, legislation came out to protect babies attempted to be aborted and unanimously one party said we will not stand for the right for them to live and that is you can look her up Gianna Jessen I've I've met this lady I've heard her speak to young people in Ohio I've heard her testimony that when she was attempted, they attempted to abort her in a clinic in LA. 
And someone in that clinic realized she has lived and they called an ambulance and they sent her to the hospital and she lived. And you look her testimony up and this bill that just went through that our president firmly vowed again, I will veto any bill that comes to protect any, any unborn life. This is the nation we live in. To not protect the least of these? God is merciful and God is patient with us. And by us being citizens of heaven first, it puts us at odd with what Jesus said. Do you think I came to give you peace and peace and more peace with everybody? I have come to give you a sword. There's going to be enmity between you and your family, an enmity between you and your neighbors, an enmity be between you and your government, not because you are a jerk, not because you are rude, not because you are a criminal or a hypocrite, but because you boldly proclaim and live the love and gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is enough for the world to hate you. And Paul writes to this community and he writes from prison not because he did anything wrong. And he writes to them of how can you have joy? And he is teaching the master class. He's not second guessing everything. He's saying, no, no, every time I retell this old story, it gets better and it gets sweeter and the joy grows more and more, just like he had the joy with Silas when he was in Philippi, thrown, beaten into the stocks. And the earthquake happened that night and a church was born. So he's writing to them. We need to tune our ear to this. We need to listen to this. We need to, you know, hop on the time machine and go back a couple thousand years and, and pay attention to what the apostle is telling us. Philippians 1, today we're going to look at verses 27 and 28. And Paul is saying, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning... Followers of Jesus Christ, how can we maximize our lives for the glory of God and the good of all peoples? How can we maximize our lives? We rarely move away from this theme, do we? The glory of God, the good of all peoples. The glory of God and the good of all peoples, that if my life is maximized, if our lives are maximized, not for me, not for my wants, my wishes, my dreams, but for God's glory and the good of all, not just the people that look like me, all peoples. Some people that don't even have the language yet and scripture in their language, like the barons are prayerfully preparing to minister to them. Number one, stay focused on one thing. Stay focused on one thing. Loved ones, 
May God help us to live our one lives in light of eternity. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying this one thing, okay? So the message that we came through last week, and Paul is gonna rejoice for for to me to live Christ, die, gain. And I'm gonna come see you. I'm hard-pressed. I wanna be with the Lord. I wanna be with you. There's ministry. I wanna serve. I wanna help you. I I love you, but I wanna be with Jesus. And, And so if I live, well, glory to God, there's going to be ministry and it will be fruitful. If I die, I'm with Jesus. That's far better. I, I'm hard pressed between these, but I, I believe I'll be there and I'm going to come and see you. But, and this is what he's doing by writing that one in, in the English, it kind of misses the point, but it's only. It's when somebody puts their finger up and they say, hang, hang on a second. One thing. It's a little bit like... Uh, you know, Ecclesiastes. He says, you go do whatever you want in your heart. You go fulfill all the dreams, but one thing, you'll give account to God for everything you do. Hold on a second before you go. I have one more thing to tell you. And it isn't go you be you. It's you will give account to the one who created you. Let that sink in this morning because everything in our culture is trying to drown that out and promote everything other than you live for the glory of God. That's why you were made in his image. That's why I was made. So stay focused on one thing, one thing. And so we need to to prioritize the main task. And so then Paul is saying that, you know, whether I come or whether I don't get there, hey, hold on a second, only one thing, the main thing, keep the main thing, the main thing, one thing. Whatever happens, put Christ and his gospel in first place. Listen to me, loved ones. Whatever this week brings, whatever today brings, can we say, Lord, enable me, help me. My desire, my goal is to put you first and your gospel first, not me first. It radically changes our conversations. It radically changes what we get offended and upset at, about. This requires intentionality on our part. Don't you feel the pressure of trying to do everything? I've got to be everywhere. I've got this and I've got that and the kids need to be here and the kids need to be there and I've got to even, and how do I keep saying yes to all these things? And I'm enslaved to a schedule. Somehow that doesn't seem to be right. And Paul is saying one thing, one thing. There's one thing that matters. In everything that we do, there's one thing that matters. Prioritize the main thing. And who's, who's the one evaluating what priorities? The Father in heaven. What does he say is important? This is my beloved son. Hear him. Worship him. Angel in Revelation. Don't, don't worship me, John. Get up, get up. Worship God. That's the one thing. And everything in our culture says, be distracted by everything, all the lesser things. Some of them are good things, but they're not the greatest. So we have to sit in this moment and say, hmm, what's my perspective right now about my schedule? Am I making much of Christ in the plans? My day-to-day life, is Christ, is he in the main place? Philippians 3.13, Paul, he writes this. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, 
but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He's like a runner. He's using athletics. Okay, he's not saying if you're a Christian, there's no place for athletics. No, there is a place for athletics, but it needs to be submitted to the one thing. And he's saying this one thing I do. I'm not telling you to do something that Paul is saying, I'm not doing that. You know, I'm the apostle, you do this. He's saying this is what I do. I strain, okay? So it's the idea of the runner leaning through the tape at the end of the race. Every last second through the tape at the end of the race. And that's what Paul says. I'm not going to dwell on, do you know what I did good? Do you know what happened to me? Do you know how they treated this? Do you know? And just constantly be moaning or glorying in the past. And here's my trophy case. Anybody have all, all those trophies from when you were a kid? What do you do with those things, right? Yeah, they go, usually they're in a cabinet somewhere. They're in something. And you store them away, and they're great memories, and you worked hard for whatever the trophy was, but ultimately it's just junk. Unless whatever was accomplished connected to other human beings, and God received the glory, and good was done for others in light of eternity, that's how those lesser things God uses for a greater purpose. This is the task of helping others come to know, love, and follow Jesus. Is that at the top of our list? We said this last week. We talked about this. Is that a driving factor in your life? That when you wake up and you see the sun one more time, thank the Lord for the sun today. Not a lot of days in Michigan and we're greeted by the sun. But if you get another morning, are we, are we encountering this reality? Lord, help me to help someone today come to know you, love you, and follow you. Maybe that's your spouse, whether they're saved or not. That's all part of it, coming to faith and growing in faith. Your children, your parents, that, Lord, help me to not make much of me today. Help me not to make much of my children today. Help me to make much of you to everyone, to help them come to know, love, and follow Jesus. This is discipleship. This is the task that is the main thing. Matthew 28, Jesus put it before us. Go, therefore, verse 19, and make disciples. That's the one thing. Make disciples of all nations, that's all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's the Trinity, the triune God. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. This is the one thing. So are you committed to the one thing? Are we as a people, as a church, are we committed to the one thing? Are we prioritizing the main task appropriately? That's a question we have to ask ourselves and not move from quickly. Letter B, if we're focused on the one thing, then we will live out the gospel truth. And so Paul is saying, hey, one thing, hold on a second, one thing. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is the one thing for believers. And literally, he's saying, live as citizens worthily. Okay, it's, it's a little choppy in English, trying to grasp what, what is he getting at here. But live as citizens worthily, worthily of the gospel. And the Philippians would have understood exactly what he meant. Hey, you're citizens of Rome, but you're citizens of heaven. 
so you can function. And even Paul, when they beat him and they were threatening to kill him, he said, would you do this to a Roman citizen? He leveraged the law to spare his life and to give another opportunity to share the gospel and not just be put to death as an unknown, who's this guy? And then the soldier, the the Roman who bought his citizenship was afraid. What do you you mean? How'd you get citizenship? I bought my citizenship. How'd you get your citizenship? I was born a Roman. Oh no, I'm in trouble. I've beaten an uncondemned man who's a Roman. Okay, there, there was, they understood this is what it is to be a citizen, live as citizens worthily. So he's saying if you're a citizen of heaven, live in light of your calling. Realize and remember who you have been called by and the family that you now belong to. This is a Christian's new identity. This changes everything. Paul says in Ephesians, he writes to them, I therefore, chapter four, verse one, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy. Same thing. Colossians 1.10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Is that why you're here this morning? Lord, help me to walk in a manner worthy of you. Lord, help me to please you fully in everything. Lord, help me to bear fruit in every good work. Lord, help me to increase in the knowledge of God. I want to know you more. Didn't we just sing that? 1 Thessalonians 2.12, Paul says, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Worthy of the calling, worthy of the Lord, worthy of God, who calls you where? Into his own kingdom and glory. This should overwhelm us. This should leave us in wonder and worship. So understand what Paul is not saying here. He is not saying, hey, walk in a manner worthy and then the Lord may look down on you and bring you into his kingdom. He's not preaching a works-based salvation where the pressure is on you and on me, as he writes here to the Philippians, hey, you know, live as citizens worthy and just see if the Lord will uh, have mercy on you. That's not it at all. It is this, he has adopted you into his family. Now live in light of your father. Rightly reflect the goodness of your father. Rightly reflect the grace of your father in heaven. Demonstrate his love, his mercy, and his grace. And so this is where we evaluate, do I love what God loves? Do I think like God would have me to think? Am I Christ-centered in my everything? Family? Scheduling, finances, pleasure. Am I Christ-centered or am I me-centered? Am I self-centered? Paul is not saying we are worthy of this calling. You get that? He doesn't say you're worthy of this. He says walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling where... You've been called. 
If you have repented of your sins and you had trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let that sink in. And it's a response, not out of obligation. It's a response out of, he loved me. He called me. He chose me. And I know me. I rarely got picked up on, on kickball, you know? And he chose me. We were talking about Red Rover. Anybody played Red Rover this week? I got picked for that one because I was about as light as a feather and I could hardly break anybody's arms, you know, like run, run, run. I couldn't break the arms. I was just a little guy. That's not how you want to get chosen. You want to get chosen first on whatever team you're getting picked up on, not like, oh, we got to make one more choice. Oh, come on, wise, you're with us. Okay, we got him. Listen. Letter C, do not underestimate the significance of your testimony. The significance of your testimony. Stay focused. He's saying one thing, one thing. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I'm waiting to hear something about you. I'm listening, I'm waiting, I'm trusting, I'm praying. And Paul is saying, he said it last week in the message, I want to come and see you. I cannot wait to be with you. But your obedience and your unity in the faith and your unity in the gospel should not be dependent on if the teacher is present or not. So don't wait on me to get there before you say, you know what, I need to submit everything to Christ. I need to get on about the one thing. He's saying, Get on about it now. I'm waiting, I'm listening, and I'll be hearing. Whether he made it back to Philippi or not, what would he hear about them? The testimony that sounded forth from the Thessalonians is incredible about their conversion, their discipleship, and their evangelism. These people that were totally devoted to pagan worship. So when you think about all of the places that we go in mission work, and I've been in India, and I've been in Africa, and all of these different places, and all these different idols, and this is what Paul is saying. He walked in, he preached the gospel, and they received this gospel. First Thessalonians 1, look in verse 4. He said, for we know, brothers, loved by God. Do you see where, doesn't that sound like Romans 8? That's where everything started for them. Loved by God, that he has chosen you. Verse 5. Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Will you join in praying that every time the word is preached from this pulpit, when it's delivered in small groups, when it's delivered in kids' church, in toddler room, even prayed over in our infants, that this is the result of this? that it's not just the word, a man's word, but it comes in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And he says, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you receive the word in much, what's the word? Affliction, trial, testing, pressure. 
It wasn't come to faith in Jesus and your marriage will be great and your children will be great and your job will be great and your health will be great and your finances will surely increase and it'll just be, no, no, no. He said, the gospel came to you and it caused you pain. But with that pain and affliction, he said, but you also experience the joy of the Holy Spirit. Something that eating and pleasure and sex and anything else could never meet what God did through forgiving your sins in Christ. You experience the joy of the Holy Spirit so that here's what happened then. Do you love going out to a pond and throwing rocks into the pond and then just watching the ripples? That's what happened when the gospel hit the pond of Thessalonica. The ripples happened so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of God, the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth. Where? Everywhere. So that we need not say anything, verse nine, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how this is, this is the gospel right here. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. Loved ones, does that describe you? Is that a summation of your life? Have you Turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus. That's conversion. And the Thessalonians, that testimony went out. What happened to them? Jesus. Wow, I cannot believe they used to this, that, the next thing. And do you know what they're doing now? The husbands are being faithful to their wives. They're not beating their children anymore. They're loving their children. What happened to them? Jesus. Jesus who? Jesus of Nazareth. Who's that? Well, he's the one ever, like they would set them up to tell the gospel repeatedly over and over because their testimony. So do not ever underestimate the significance of your testimony. Don't sit here and say, well, that's great for the Philippians. Well, that's great for those people in Thessalonica 2,000 years ago, but I'm a nobody. What can I do? I work in a place with thousands of people. What difference does that make if I'm doing anything there? Read your Bibles. Don't underestimate the power of your testimony, of God at work in you, changing you. The joy of the Holy Spirit, even in the midst of great affliction. What will we be known for? What are we known for right now? What do people know about us? When we're hanging out with people for 5, 10, 50 minutes, whatever, what are they, what are they hearing from us? What do they know about us? When, we, when our time and we go our separate ways, what are we leaving people with? What is reverberating from our conversation? They're going to pick up what's important to him, what's important to her, what does she love, what does she hate, what offends her, what bothers her, what blesses her, what's important to them, what are people picking up? They can't read our thoughts. They don't know our motives. They listen to us talk. So what are we talking about? What gets us excited? What gets us angry? What are we passionate about? Then you have to answer the question, does it matter? When I'm investing my life, my time, my money, all my energy into, how long will that last? 
Is it kingdom or is it my little small kingdom? Is it his kingdom or my kingdom? And I love what John wrote. This was on my, great -grand or on my grandparents' 50th anniversary in the pictures of their families. Third John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in the truth. They're walking in the truth. I have no greater joy, and I've said this, I can't even tell you how many times. You know what the great, one of the greatest sorrows is? Is to hear that your children are not walking in the truth because you love your family and you love your siblings and your aunts and your uncles and your relatives and your parents. And you, to know that my children are not walking in the truth Everything kind of stops there. You do what you have to do in a daily life, but if you're a follower of Christ, this is the point that where you are, you are praying and you are fixated and you are focused and you're saying, God, how can you help me rightly represent you to make a difference in their lives so that they hear their testimony goes forth, what happened to you? And they have one answer, Jesus, Jesus. Loved ones, let's help each other stay focused on the one thing. And number two, stand firm as one family. We'll fix our eyes on Christ, but we're just not gonna do nothing. Paul here, using military language, he's saying, hold the line. All right, stand up for Christ, hold the line. You're a family. This isn't a corporation. That's where churches get in trouble when it starts to feel more like a business, when it, when it starts to feel more political. I'm going to get my will done instead of what is the will of God and how will we submit and do that? What will that cost us and how will we sacrifice for God's will to be done? Very different. So Paul is saying, stand firm as one family and to do that, then you need to be unified in spirit. And he says that I may hear of you. So whether I get there or not, he's still got that finger up. Hold on a second. One thing, stand firm together as a family. Be unified in spirit. I wanna hear that you're standing firm in one spirit. Okay, this isn't the Holy Spirit, but it's the spirit within us that the Holy Spirit has regenerated. And now that spirit dwells in all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's only one Holy Spirit. And if that spirit dwells in us, there's going to be, if we are listening and sensitive, if we're walking in the spirit, then we're not gonna fulfill the lusts of the flesh, our desires, our grievances. Those will not matter to us. Those will not be important to us. We will walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. I, me, mine. Him, his, and ours. Very different. How do I fit within that? How does my family fit and function within that? So in a competition or in a battle, it's essential for athletes and soldiers to be unified. If they're gonna have any chance of success, then they have to function as, a, as one. They're, they're footing. They've gotta be firm in their footing. If a team or if a company of soldiers begins to experience disharmony and disunity, then they're gonna have a really hard time winning. I turned off the game last night and I woke up this morning and I saw the news, greatest comeback in playoffs or whatever. And the whole team is like, we never doubted our quarterback, you know? 
I turned it off. The guy was throwing more interceptions than I'd ever seen. I'm like, well, this isn't going anywhere. Let's watch hockey for a little bit. Well, that didn't turn out too good. And I, I missed it. I missed it all. The team stayed unified when it was just going down, down, and further down. I was like, thank you, Lord, for that illustration. It just fits right in with this message today. Because you know what is easy to happen? It's when everybody begins to doubt. And the center begins thinking, I think I should play quarterback now. That's the chance that we're going to have. Well, I think I told the coach he should have put me here. I told him he should have run this play. All that infighting begins. And the other team, they they don't even need to do anything. Now, here in this letter, we have the first hint of something's wrong in the Philippian church. So, yes, you need to stand firm as one family because there's an enemy outside. But now, Paul is, he's zeroing in on what he's going to get to about the ladies that are at odds with each other. And there they are, you know, somewhere, and there's, there, there's a quarrel between them. And everybody knows it, but everybody's tiptoeing around these ladies because they're self-centered and nobody wants to hurt them or offend them. So they just keep holding back instead of helping them rightly. Paul, is, he's leaning into it now, saying you need to stand firm. There needs to be unity of mind. And by the way, there's not unity of mind among everyone in the church there in Philippi. And it needs to change whether I get there or not. He's got that finger up. Hey, hey, hold on, one thing. That one quarrel that's going on in the church, that's, that's worldly. That's fleshly. That's self-centered, selfish, and it's small kingdom. One thing. Refocus on the one thing, and it's not you and yours. It's him and his. That's what Paul is saying to them. And that's what's best for you and yours and mine and all of the others, right? That's where we function rightly and in joy and in health to the glory of God. Many of you will remember October 2016, we were in our study in Corinthians, just unfolding. And Paul was writing to that church. That church was in trouble. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye, all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be united in the same mind and the same judgment. All right, so he's saying almost the same thing, but now he begins saying, what are you talking about, Paul? We're all good. Uh Uh-huh, verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or Peter, or I follow, here's the real spiritual group, I follow Christ. And then he asks this blunt question. Is Christ divided? You think Jesus is lobbying for all these different teams and divisions and schisms, and you think that's him? Was, was Paul, now he's third person, you know, was Paul crucified for you? Hey, all the people, they're like, Paul, Paul, he's our man. And Paul is saying, did I die for you? You think that sounds good to me, that my faction is like, I have like 30 people behind me, and Apollos has like 25. I'm up by five. I didn't die for you. 
He takes the full brunt there. Is Christ divided? Did I die for you? Were you baptized in my name? He leaves the other guys off the table because his issue isn't with them. His issue is with people who are bringing conflict into the church and they're using people's names to do so, even the name of Christ. One thing, be unified in spirit. Be unified, he says, also in mind. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind. So this is a call to present a united front and it requires humility and it requires fortitude. We are resolved here as a church, here at Grace, listen to me now, and remind me, us together, if we're ever down in the dumps and somebody's offended me, somebody's done me wrong, then remind one another of this. We will not fight for the non-essentials. We are resolved together. We will not fight over personal preferences. We'll stand boldly for our five distinctives. We'll stand boldly for our statement of faith. All leaders and members, we are teammates together in the body of Christ. We're brothers and sisters. We're sheep all in need of a shepherd. We've said it this way, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. In all things, love. And that includes when you're talking to somebody who's not a believer. You're talking to somebody who hates God. They're an atheist. Yeah, show love. Show kindness. Talking to a Muslim, show kindness. Talking to somebody who came into the nation the wrong way, show charity. This gets us where we live. And that doesn't dismiss a responsibility that a government has ordained by God to enforce laws. But as believers... We have a responsibility to our king and our citizenship in heaven is first. One commentator, Ralph Martin, he says it this way. He says, the divided state of the church was a cause of sorrow to the apostle and a danger to the church itself in face of the constant threat of the adversaries arriving on the scene. So Paul, is, he's, he's brokenhearted for them. He loves them. He's... He's he's grieving over them. So he's got that finger of one thing, one thing. He expected the church, deal with the internal strife immediately. Don't delay. Deal with the problem. Deal with the issue. Don't, Don't run around to everybody airing out your laundry and issues. Go to the source. And a lot of times that source is the person that I see in the mirror. Can we just get honest about that? Start there. And come away from that to our family, to our communities, to our church family, knowing we've experienced more than we deserve the grace of God, the goodness of God. Number three, strive together for one gospel. Strive together for one gospel. Now, he was just telling us, all right, you know, one thing, hold on a second. Stay focused on the one thing, only, hang on, only. And then he's saying, stand firm, hold your ground, hold your ground. Hold the line. That's, that's uh, in, the, in the movie Gladiator. You know, they're all there and they're going into the, the, the arena. Hold the line, hold the line. And you see a few people like, ah, they run out and they're gone. They're done. Hold, hold. That's what Paul is saying. And then now he turns it and, and they would understand this. And now there's take, take new ground. 
Now we've got to move to the offensive. Now it's not just defense, stand, hold, hold. Now we have to go forward. We're not just going to sit here in a holy huddle. It's all paid for. It's fine. It's all good. Let's coast. You know any teams like that? I'll pretty much venture that happened last night. We got a good lead. Let's just coast. Let's start playing not to lose. You lost right there. You have to play to win. You have to play every second of the match. You and I have to play every minute God gives us in this life and play to win. Let's leave it all on like, that's Paul. I'm stretching out for eternity. I'm not stretching out for everything left and right. I'm stretching out for the glory of God and the good of all peoples. Take new ground. Contend for the faith. We're not just gonna float. Right? He doesn't want them to wait to obey. We'll get around to it. No, right now. Let's worship our way through the valleys and over the mountaintops. Worship our way through. That's how we fought our battles. It's worship. It's drawing into the word of God. It's drawing into prayer. It's drawing into the fellowship when everything in us is saying, go isolated. Stay to self and have what? More of you? More choir of your opinion? How does that help anybody? It doesn't. Jeremiah tells us our, our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Above all else, who can know it? Next verse, God knows it. He knows it. And he sent Christ to redeem you and cleanse your heart by his blood. So he's saying strive together for one gospel. Contend for the faith. Take new ground. And how do we do this? Letter A, serve within the fellowship. Not alone. He's saying it. Striving side by side. That's imagery. Side by side. It's hold the line. It's military. It's lined up. It's, it's, it's in athletics. The same thing. We're together. We're not going to abandon each other. We're going you know, to take up for one another. You see that happen every now in the football and somebody does something a little extra to a quarterback and then one of these massive three, 400-pound guys comes up and like, get off my quarterback. That's my guy. You pick on him wrongly, you're going to deal with me. That's what he's saying. Serve within the fellowship. Strive together side by side. He's writing to a local church. This church in Philippi has shepherd leaders and elders. There's an identified membership. So together, they all shared a responsibility to carry out the Great Commission. So he's writing to them, hey, you're in the fellowship. Strive together. Encourage one another and evangelize those without Christ. But you got to do it together. Stop fighting with each other. Hey, ladies, stop fighting. Stop quarreling. Hey, everybody, help them stop quarreling. Put an end to it. Don't oh, carry on and, and let it go on and on and on. Would you do that with cancer in your body? So Paul is saying, cut it out. Deal with it. Address it. Stop fighting each other. Strive together against the real enemy. And this requires that we loved ones keep the Jesus revealed in John 13 always at the pinnacle of our thoughts. John 13, what's John 13? The night of his betrayal. And there they are in the upper room and there's no servant to wash their nasty feet. And Jesus gets up and what does he do? He takes off his outer garment, he puts on the slave robe and he begins to wash their feet. And at the end of the matter, he says, what I've done to you, 
I've just crushed any, any excuse that any follower of mine would ever say, that's beneath me. Oh, I can't do that. Change diapers? Oh, dear, I've done enough of those. Oh, yeah. Jesus, the Son of God. He washed our feet. And he said, what I've done to you, you do that for one another. What, wash our feet? No, serve one another. If your feet need to be washed, sure. I'll help you with that. There's nothing that's below our pay grade. Paul says to the Galatians 5.13, the end of the verse, but through love serve one another. Why do you think he had to include that love there? Because <laughs> the Spirit of God inspiring him knows that we can, we can serve one another in our families. I did it. Fine. I emptied the dishwasher. Bam! Your turn next time. Now through love, serve one another. 1 Peter 4.10 as each has received a gift, it's not yours. If you're in Christ, you've received the gift and you're gonna give an answer and you're gonna give an account one day what you do with the gift that you received. And you didn't buy it. Jesus did with his blood. Gave you a gift. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So serve within the fellowship and then he's, he stays out of here, serve for the faith. Striving side by side for what? For the faith of the gospel. We're not serving for ourselves. We're not serving for self-interest. We're not serving with what I really like and what I need and what I, no, that's every charity. That's every charitable work without, apart from Christ is I get a good feeling out of helping these people. I get a good feeling. I think it's right. I, I get some, you know, cameras rolling, you know, pay attention. I'm signing. I'm doing these things for people. I get the feeling. That's very different than Christian ministry. Christian ministry is we serve together, strive together for the faith, not for my agenda. We do not serve ourselves. It's not for self-interest, not for my kingdom, what I get out of it. We do not serve primarily for other people. We serve for the faith of the gospel. This is gospel-centered giving. This is gospel-centered serving. This is gospel-centered helping, gospel-centered singing. Well, what is the gospel? God created you. God created me in his own image. And oh, our sin separated us from God. We disobeyed. We were separated from God. We were booted out of the garden in death. We began to die. And every one of us will die. S, sins cannot be removed by doing good deeds. And that's what most people in the world think. I'll go to church. I'll do more. I'll help. I'll serve. I'll do all of these things. And then I'll show that to God. And isn't that good? Sins cannot be removed by doing good deeds. So we're in trouble until P, paying the price for your sin and my sin, Jesus Christ, the second person of the triune God, 
He added to himself flesh, was born of a virgin, lived a life that you and I could never live. He died the death that you and I deserve to die. He was buried and he rose to life again that first resurrection morning. So that E, everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in him alone, Jesus alone, will be given life that never ends. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Why do I say that over and over and over again? Because this week you're going to have moments and opportunities and so will I. And we want the gospel to be driving our conversation when we're doing whatever we're doing. Because it's the only thing that will last is how people respond to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ if they will know everlasting life instead of eternal separation from the God that made them and sent his one and only son for them. Have you received have you believed the gospel? Have you followed in baptism to tell the whole world, I, I belong to Jesus? We can help you with that. Serve for the faith. And lastly, serve without fear of enemies. And here's where Paul just, he just puts it all down to the point. Okay, we're not going to serve alone. We're not going to serve for ourselves. But we are going to serve together without fear, and we're moving forward by faith. We're not going to live in fear. Well, what about, and what about this, and what about that? No. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. It's all the grace of God. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So what is he saying? We will not be afraid. We will not be afraid. United to Christ and united with one another, the church will be built, and Jesus said the gates of hell cannot prevail. There's not a snowball chance in hell that, it, that hell will overcome the church. You understand that? He said that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. I will build my church. So we're given a promise we're given an absolute guarantee. Remember when Corey was here? That's a guarantee. Why don't we take Jesus up on that and believe that and function in light of that? In Tolkien's uh, The Return of the King, there's a part in there where it's all thickening, the plot is thickening, the, you know, it's all escalating, and, and the dwarf Gimli. Here's the need, and he says, I'm not doing that. I'm not going. And then they, they draw it out a little more and, and out there, if we don't go, Frodo's alone and he has no chance. And I love the line. There he is and he's smoking his pipe and he's thinking, certainty of death. You know the line? Certainty of death, small chance of success. What are we waiting for? <laughs> Think about this. There's something inspiring in that. That's a, that's a story of what changed him from not my problem to I'll give it all. His thought about his friend. His thought about the fellowship and, and the community that he was part of, that he was committed to, and it changed him in a moment. And that is fiction. And we're given a promise. Guarantee of death? Yeah, Chance of success, 100%. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? That's why Paul's finger's up. 
hey, don't wait till I get there. This is too important. This needs to change our thinking today. This needs to change our schedules today. This needs to change for some people who you worship today. That's what Paul is saying. So we won't back down. It's too much at stake. In 2006, right on this floor right here, I said this. Let's lock arms together. Some of you were here that day. Let's lock arms together and let's reach the world from Richmond, Michigan. I praise God for the people right here I'm looking at that God has added since then. You've been reached since then. 2006, you were on the road to hell and you're on the road to heaven now worshiping Jesus. Amen. Amen. But in 2006, some of you I'm looking at, you were here and your arms are still locked. And what I know is the only thing that will separate our arms for a moment is God willing is death. And there will be a reunion. And we won't be ever separated again from being home because of Jesus. Look at what, listen to what Jesus said. Luke 12, 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you of whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. If you don't know Christ, you need to have fear. A right fear that leads you to repentance. John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, Jesus says. Read it with me. I have overcome the world. Hey, you're in me? This is the 100% guaranteed success. Because Jesus is already, he's already won. Read Revelation. It's not going to be a draw. And there's not going to be a recount. He wins. So if we're going to make the most of our lives for the glory of God and the good of all peoples, here's, here's how we're going to do it. Let's stay focused on the one thing. Let's stand firm as one family. And by the grace of God, let's strive together for one, one gospel. And let's take new ground. Amen. There's a picture that'll come on the screen. This is a polycarp, an artist's rendition of, I don't think that's a picture from about 150 AD. I don't think they had uh, digital cameras or any other camera then. But listen, this polycarp was a bishop of Smyrna. And they, they sent uh, Roman soldiers to arrest him. And what he did is he prepared a meal for them and he served them and he blessed them and he prayed over them. And the Roman soldiers were like, why are we arresting this old guy? What is going on here? This is, what, is, what are we doing? Why, why is he a threat to anybody? And they brought him and the governor repeatedly told him, all you have to do is recant. All you have to do is deny Jesus. Say Caesar is Lord. Stop saying Jesus is Lord. He warned him repeatedly, you can, you can skip the fires, Polycarp. You can skip the fire. And you know what Polycarp said? He warned him of the eternal fires of hell. This is what he said. After he heard a voice saying this, be strong and play the man. Be strong and play the man. They came to nail him to the stake where they would burn him. He said, you don't need to nail me. I'm not going anywhere. So he stood there. They tied ropes around him in the fire. 
And the governor appeals to him, just recant, recant. And this is what he said, it's written on the screen. Four score and six years I have served him and he's never done me injury. How then can I now blaspheme my king and my savior? They lit the fires and that day he died and the crowd watching said what they saw was that that old man in the fire as if gold was in the fire. And from that death, the gospel flamed. Because in that day, he, he did, the governor lost. And Polycarp, in that moment, said, no, I'm not denying him. Why would I deny him? He's never failed me. He's never let me down. Implying, I've failed him many times. He's never failed me. It's Christ alone. Light your fire. Oh, may we learn from those who have gone before us. What's your one step to make the most of your life for God's glory and the good of all peoples? Will you take that step today? C.T. Studd said it this way, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ, only what's done through Christ will last. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, it is our desire to make much of Christ. It is our desire to glory only in Christ. It is our desire, Lord, to receive the good gifts from you, the giver, but never forget you, the one who has given all things, and supremely, you have given your son. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the gospel. I thank you that as this word goes out today, it will not return void. And Father, I pray that you will by your spirit do what you did in Thessalonica 2,000 years ago, that someone came into this message and they were listening, but they were living for themselves and they heard your word and respond to your spirit and their life will be changed in a moment. Their eternity will be changed forever by repenting of their sin. Lord, I am a sinner. That will be their prayer. Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ died in my place. He lived the sinless life that I couldn't live. He died for me and I plead the blood and I turn from my sin and I trust in Jesus and they will just simply surrender their life to you the way many of us have and they will receive the gift of salvation, which is Jesus. And they will trust not in themselves, not in a religious work, but in Christ alone. And their eternity will be changed forever. And then from our lives, Lord, we'll go a testimony that we will live for the glory of God, for the glory of Christ, to live, to make much, to make the most of Jesus. And that will be for your glory and for the good of all peoples. Oh God, use us to that end. Spend our lives to that end, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. 
please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.